We are going to energize the country. We need to wake up and smell the coffee. The independence case is a powerful one. Another future is possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order! Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Callum Robertson, a Liberal Democrat council candidate for this upcoming year's May's local elections for Bethnal Green East, who has also been a Lib Dem candidate at parliamentary level. Welcome to the podcast, Callum. Thank you, Will. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on, Callum. And um, the first question that I'd like to ask is, what made you decide that you wanted to put yourself forward as a Lib Dem council candidate at this May's local elections? Um, I think it's two two reasons. One, I, I give a damn about the community I, I live in, um, but being very blunt. Uh, the second one is I think everyone should have the opportunity to vote for the party they support. Mm. Um, and part of that is, is people like me who don't have a very high chance of winning, uh, putting their names forward to be a candidate and really hitting home the message that actually lib- there's no no-go areas for Lib, for lib Dems. Bethnal Green East, as, as, as you say, is not a seat that has previously been held um, by the Liberal Democrats. What is your, your, your strategy in terms of getting out there and meeting with local residents and engaging them uh, with your message? Um, my strategy is very much to help people who have a realistic chance of getting elected under the Liberal Democrat banner get elected under the Liberal Democrat banner. Mm-hmm. Um, we have target wards in um, our borough. Um, we, we have two of them and some development wards. I think my job as a paper, what's colloquially known as paper candidate is to very much get out there and fight to make sure those people become councillors on May 2nd. Mm-hmm. So um, in terms of your past experience I mean how do you think that that has equipped you to help other candidates and, and, and to be a candidate yourself? Um, I think it brings with it a sort of a very interesting range of ex- like range of experience that makes me sort of quite uniquely equipped to, to help out with sort of anywhere. Um, I grew up in Peterborough uh, which is uh, about 45 minutes north of King's Cross. Uh, Peterborough quite evenly divided the city. I'd experienced fighting both Labour and the Tories there. Um, I moved, moved down to Essex for uni, uh, where I ran uh, Colchester Local Party and ran for Parliament in Clacton uh, up to the 2019 general election. I was fighting not only the Tories there, but um, the far right as well. Um, now I'm living uh, in Tower Hamlets. I'm using that experience fighting sort of dodgy far right people to taking it to the Labour Council. Um, who are also dodgy and taking it to Aspire, who should be allowed nowhere near public office. Now, in terms of the far right, that's obviously something that you've encountered in um, both Clacton and in Tower Hamlets. Are there any differences in, in terms of the groups that you've um, I would sorry, dealt to just, with? Just, be- just before you sort of say that, I'd say in Tower Hamlets, the far right isn't a huge issue. It's more mm-hmm. that you've got uh, people who are extremists in a very different way. Mm-hmm. So, well, in terms of that extremism, then, um, in, in, in what ways is it different between Clacton and Tower Hamlets? Sure. Uh, so Clacton, it's a lot more sort of like, so there, there was a guy called Andy Morgan, um, who was basically a fascist in all but name. Um, and he can sue me if he thinks that's a particularly inappropriate version of him. Um, but he is fascist in all but name, and he surrounds himself with thugs. Um he, he, he partakes in what can only be really described as gangster politics. 
mm -hmm. um, sort of your, your, your standard sort of like convince the old grannies to vote for me by being a little bit charming, but also like there's always that veneer of respectability, but actually underneath that, it's just thuggish. Mm -hmm. um, you've got people that look for Rahman, um, who whilst very left-wing within Tower Hamlets, uh, very much cut from the same cloth, um, they have a veneer of respectability, a veneer of always looking out for people, but actually you scratch below the surface and, and the rooms are swelling around electoral fraud. I mean, look for Rahman was removed from office for electoral fraud mm -hmm. um, and for sort of handing out contracts to his mates, um, those people should not be allowed anywhere near our office and, and our job up to the 2nd of May and after the 2nd of May is making sure that we are giving an alternative vision to the people of Tower Hamlets to stop them being taken advantage of by, by these charlatans. Hmm. So, I mean, how, how uh, effective do you think these veneers of respectability, as you describe it, are? I mean, do you think, do you think that they do actually um, convince a great deal of people, or is it only a certain amount of people that are convinced by them? Well, we, we live under first past the post, so you don't have to convince everyone. I think that's one of the pitfalls of our electoral system, is you don't have to do that. Um, but they convince 30 to 40% of the people who turn out and vote, which often is worryingly enough. Um, I think if you look at 2010 and 2014, uh, look for Armand did win uh, twice. Um, I think it only logically follows that, that he has some sort of credibility as a candidate, given the fact he has won two elections in the past what, 12 years. Um, the people are honest. I mean, admittedly, the second one, I mean, I think one only needs to read the law reports, uh, sorry, um, the uh, case outcome uh, from uh, the trial where he was removed from office to realise that he is about as dodgy as you get. Mm. Um, we're talking contracts to your mates. You're talking um, our, his supporters, even this year, have been asking people to uh, who are professional carers to basically take the votes of the people they're caring for and vote. I mean, actually, this, I know it's recorded, but uh, it's only audio, but yeah. this letter came with our polling cards today. Um, and to quote uh, the third paragraph, as a returning officer for these polls, I have the responsibility to ensure that there is confidence in the democratic process, ensure its integrity and enable the delivery of free and fair elections. I'm focusing on the needs of electors to ensure that every vote remains secure, accessible, fair, transparent, and delivered efficiently. That I've never had to receive before. Mm. Um, in Peterborough, where there's sort of a very tough election, electoral battle uh, in some wards between our Tories and Labour, um, in Clapton, electoral fraud has never been an issue, but actually in Tower Hamlets it is. Um, and the fact that the um, councillors having to go, well, please don't let people take your vote for you. Please don't let people impersonate you. Please don't be family voting. All of these are crimes. Um, the fact that the council is having to put in place measures realistically because of the actions of, of Lutheran and his ilk, um, I think that says, says a lot about um, the type of candidates that they are. Um, in terms of being entirely inappropriate public office, in line with uh, what the uh, court judgment said. Hmm. I, I mean, do you, do you think that, given what you've just said about Tower Hamlets and your experiences there, that this maybe 
used as a as an argument in favour of voter ID. I mean, what, I mean, what's your take on that? Um, like all good liberal Democrats, I oppose voter ID. Uh, it disproportionately impacts uh, ethnic minority communities. Hmm. Um, in a free society, we should have an electoral system and an electoral system safeguards that ensure that there is no voter fraud. And then out of what, over 300 different local authority areas, there's maybe one or two that have an issue with voter fraud. Hmm. One of them is uh, Tower Hamlet. Tower Hamlet also has a disproportionately high Bangladeshi community. Um, Bangladeshi community, um, ethnic minority background, less likely to have ID. Mm. Just because there's been historical voter fraud here, it doesn't mean that it gives the local council or the government the right to disenfranchise tens of thousands of Bangladeshi people who just mm. want to exercise the democratic rights. That is fundamentally un-British. Mm. Um, and I think the Tories' efforts to put that through Parliament now are nothing short of disgraceful um yeah it, it, it's straight up the dictator's playbook mm. how, how then do you think we can combat voter fraud in areas like tower hamlets then i mean what, what would you see as the best sort of like mechanism i mean obviously you've mentioned um Raman there but i mean in instances either relating to him or relating to other people what would be the best method for combating it do you think so of the, what is it, in the last 10 years, some like six cases of successful voter fraud, caught yeah. out voter fraud, it, it's ludicrously low numbers out of the tens of millions of ballot papers that have been returned. I mean, when we say what is the solution, I, I, I find that when we pose it like that, that is a solution in search of a problem. Mm. Voter fraud is not an issue in 99.99% of the UK. I think the actions of a few brave citizens after the 2014 election showed that the courts are perfectly adequately in place to stop voter fraud or punish voter fraud if it happens. And they overturned an election result. They removed a sitting mayor for the first time ever and the only time ever because that was their job and they were entitled to do so and they came to that conclusion. Um, why do we need to bring in new laws when the current ones are working okay? It's like with the Coronavirus Act, um, the government only really used um, powers that already existed under different legislation. The Coronavirus Act was, again, a huge infringement on civil liberties. Same sort of principle, and it's, it's something the Conservatives are very, very good at saying, oh, here's a problem. Um, I think if you scratch by the surface, the people who are targeted by the problem tend to be uh, minority communities, mm. or targeted by the uh, supposed problem, mm. or the solutions to the supposed problem are minority communities. So I would go so far as to say vote for is outright racist. So voter ideas are high races, not voter fraud. Um, in just turning on to um, policies that you think would potentially benefit the people of um, Bethnal and, and, and also Tower Hamlets, I mean, what sort of policies do you think that the Lib Dems are putting forward that could benefit the people living in those communities if Liberal Democrat candidates sure. are elected? Um, we have, well, we, first of all, we have a good chance to get, in, get in some really good Lib Dems elected. We've got Dom um, Buxton. In, in St. Catherine's Wapping, uh, a phenomenal candidate. He just plugs away. He does so much work for that community. And it's inspiring. You've got people like Guy Benson in Blackburn, Cuba Town. You've got Sam Tunnicliffe um, in um, Shadwell, alongside Rabina Khan, who's our existing councillor. Um, so you can get people like that elected. I think 
when you look at the priorities, we have a cost of living crisis. Um, Ed Davey launched the local election campaign for the uh, Lib Dems nationally this morning, at which he was talking about the fact the Tories have just become the high tax buy. Um, at a local level, I think you could do wonders to remove some of the lowest income people from council tax and stop pricing out working class people from London. But you can also tackle the recycling rates. Tower Hamlets is one of, if not the worst in the country hmm. uh, for recycling rates. Now we're in the middle of an environmental crisis. Frankly, the council, the Labour on council can do better. Let's do that. Uh, let's increase recycling rates and let's lower council tax for those who need it. Hmm. In, in terms of, I mean, you mentioned the cost of living crisis there. In terms of that crisis, what do you think councils could be doing if they're not already doing it to help people who are suffering from increases in the cost of living crisis? Now, of course, councils are limited in what they can do, but I mean, in, in terms of the powers that they have, what do you think that they could do more that perhaps they're not already doing to, to help people? It's an interesting point that you, you say they're limited because I take the opposite view. I think councils and especially council leaders have more day-to-day -day power over things like housing than people like members of parliament. Um, what can we do um, as, as a council, as, as prospective councillors? Well, we can stop being so nimby, grow some bulls and build some more houses. Uh, housing is at its core a supply and demand issue. Um, and anyone who tells you otherwise hasn't studied economics properly. Um, it, it's as simple as that. If you, if, you, if, you, if you have high prices and you get uh, supply to outstrip demand, those prices will fall down. Um, so what Tower Hamlets can do is go on a building revolution of affordable housing. Um, it can continue policies such as building council housing to make sure that council housing list is um, shrunk uh, to make sure people are in safe, stable accommodation. Um, and they can do things like tackle the cost of living crisis with relations to things like council tax bills, mm. which means that fewer people will end up having to be priced out. Um, the rent in my flat um, is going up by £700 a month um, in Tower Hamlets. So uh, my flatmates and I have been forced to relocate because we're being priced out. And we're three professionals, mm. uh, three middle-class professionals who are being priced out. We're lucky in the sense that we can all afford somewhere. There are thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even 100,000 people in Tower Hamlets who don't have that privilege, don't have that choice. Mm. You aren't in professional middle-class jobs. Um, those people are being priced out and it's the council's job to play its part in addressing that housing crisis. And that means building on a colossal scale. In terms of, this is something I'm particularly interested to hear your thoughts on, in terms of increasing building and balancing that with um, environmental promises, how best do you think we can do that? Because of course, there's going to be arguments in terms of how exactly we develop particular areas and which areas shouldn't be developed and, and which should. I mean, I mean, what do you think in terms of that balance between making commitments to the environment and also increasing the housing supply? If you want to look at bigger single source polluters within areas, lack of recycling rates, huge, huge issue. Um, cars, huge issue. Uh, lack of affordable public transport, huge issue. I think people reflexively go to blame housing because it either makes their neighbourhood ever so slightly less valuable mm. or any other number of reasons up to including just placing nimbyism. Um, I think it becomes a false argument after a while. 
let's tackle some of the causes around environmental concerns. Let's move to a green economy. Let's start investing in renewables, all of this. Um, let's sure, make sure new builds have solar panels attached. Um, let's not shy away from onshore wind farms like the Conservatives are shying away from at the moment. Let's actually stop looking for excuses not to tackle the housing crisis and let's just get on and do it. Simple as that. In, in terms of, though, I'm, I'm thinking specifically in terms of sort of like areas of land that are obviously going to be designated for planting trees, etc. How, how do you how do you balance that with also about building more houses? Uh, rooftop gardens, green buildings. Um, I mean, we are building hundreds of houses and flats and apartments near us. No one has ever threatened Mud Street Park. The green spaces are not an issue in Tower Hamlet. Hmm. And I think that those who will campaign that they are being threatened are those campaigning on disingenuous grounds. Mm-hmm. Just turning to um, wider national politics for a sure. moment. Um, one of the things that's obviously been noticeable in certain by-election results of late has been the Lib Dem success in areas that have previously been held by the Conservatives, Conservative-dominated areas. Mm-hmm. How do you think the Lib Dems are going to replicate that in a general election? And do you think that they're going to replicate that in a general election? Yes. Um, I think Boris Johnson offends the home counties and, and places like southwest London, it offends people's sense of decency. People like their politicians, to be honest. Um, and Boris Johnson fails that seven days a week and twice on Sunday. Uh, if you look at some of our target seats coming up, seats we're hoping to win in the next general election, uh, South Cams, um, Hitchin Harpenden, um, the New St. Neat seat, um, the New St. Neat seat, so it's places like that are places we will hopefully pick up uh, based on anti-Tory votes and people being pro because they're proud of what we have to offer um, because what we have to offer is frankly better than the Tories at the moment. For example, we're not shafting lower-income people with uh, high taxes. The Tories are. They're, they're, that's a pretty sellable message and it's also the truth. Um, that's that's how we win and replicate those successes from North Shropshire and Cheshire and Amsham. Looking at that, um, upcoming general election, potentially two years away, maybe a bit sooner. What do you think the Lib Dem position will be if we end up with a hung parliament? Say the Labour Party is not uh, close enough to a majority and the Conservatives are not close enough to a majority. What do you think that the Lib Dem should do in a situation like that? Uh, in this hypothetical situation, would the Lib Dems be the balance of power? Well, I mean, it depends. Would Do you, do you think that they would be? Uh, I think it's entirely possible. And I think we should, if we could form a majority with the Conservatives or with Labour, I think we should keep our power dry and get the best deal for the British people, because they're the people that matter. Um, and um, any political party or group that, that's promising otherwise is frankly in it for themselves. I'd like to turn now to um, something that's not happening in the future, but is happening now, which is, of course, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the war that is um, occurring there. Of course, we've seen uh, various um, war crimes that have been reported, and it is a complete and utter humanitarian disaster. 
what do you think the government should be doing in response to Ukraine? Do you think that they're doing enough? Or if they're not doing enough, what more do you think they should be doing? I think the uh, government likes to pretend it's doing a lot with Ukraine. Um, they have been really, really loud and proud about their Ukrainian refugee crisis uh, policy of taking lots of refugees. But actually, that really realistically amounts to subtle. Um, that amounts to um, what a meagre £350 payment that they're struggling to process. Um, it's got people on the right wing of politics exercised about it as well, uh, in the sense that people are fundamentally very unhappy at um, how little the government's doing. Uh, so the, I don't think the government's doing enough, but I also think, and this is my position, not necessarily the Liberal Democrat position, I think we're being too timid. I think Vladimir Putin's a bully who only responds to strength. We should not be afraid to flex more muscle. Zelensky has put, President Zelensky has put the entirety of the West to shame um, through being what can only really be described as a hero um, to his people and to the world. He stood up to a country that's a lot bigger, a lot more powerful, that's committing war crimes, shooting people in the street. And the West refuses to put in a no-fly zone. And the West refuses to contemplate two troops on the ground. We refuse to call any Putin's bluffs. And as a result, Putin continues. And the Russian government continues. And the bodies on the ground in Busha are part of the responsibility of the West's inability and unwillingness to undertake the necessary action needed to safeguard Ukrainian lives and the Ukrainian freedoms. I mean, I'm gathering from uh, your answer there that you would be in favour of a no-fly zone. Is, is yes. that a fair assessment? Yeah. I so, think that, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So what I was just going to say is, in, in, in your assessment, you'd be in favour of um, a no-fly zone and um, more military intervention. Troops on troops on the ground. Is I'm 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 just sort of like I think, yeah. I think if ne if necessary, I don't think uh -huh. we should rule it out. I, it if you I think purely from a strategic point of view, I'm thinking back to before I became a teacher when I was doing foreign policy, um, for a think tank. You're fundamentally not very sensible if you rule anything out. Um, fundamentally, you, what you'll do is you'll be giving away your strategic cards ahead of um, any any potential thing, mm. any potential intervention, um, which gives Putin time to plan effectively. Uh, I don't think we should take anything off the table as of yet. Do you think that the reason that there has been reluctance over pressing the, this particular strategy is to do with the potential of nuclear escalation? And I mean, how... Realistic, do you think nuclear escalation could be if there was a situation with a no-fly zone and, and troops on the ground? Um, I'll caveat this with the fact I'm not a military expert. I'm not going to pretend to be a military expert. Um, I think we should take advice from military experts. Um, I don't know is, is the honest answer. But I think what we can say with certainty is what we're doing now is not working. Um, so it's looking at what happens next. Because... I, I, we, we can't leave Ukraine. Mm. We, 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 can't, we can't leave the people of Ukraine 
um, to be butchered in the streets uh, for the red crime being Ukrainian. Um, we can't let false flag attacks by the Russians go unpunished. They're committing war crimes. Mm. Um, they, I mean, not to labour the point, but they're going on a they're going on a campaign to denazify Ukraine, who has a Jewish leader. I mean, mm. I don't need to tell you how many which ways from Sunday that is so offensive. Yeah, to the Jewish people, to anyone with a sense of decency. I think if we take things off the table, the the, the issue with that is is that you're implicitly endorsing his actions. Even if you're condemning them, you're implicitly endorsing them if you're not doing enough to stop them. You're going, yeah, we'll do this. We'll give the semblance of, of giving a damn. But actually, when it comes to actions to follow through, sanctions are not enough. Sanctions won't bring back those people who have been murdered defending their country. Hmm. Absolutely. Um, one of the, the, the things that has obviously been discussed and, and will hopefully at one time happen uh, it's some sort of Nuremberg-style prosecution of the Russians who were involved, who committed the war crimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, how likely do you think that is going to happen in the near future if we continue with the positions that we have in terms of sanctions and, and, and not implementing a, a no-fly zone or no troops on the ground? Um, well, I think, again, I'm not, I'm not an international lawyer. Um, I can only speak sort of from a moral point of view. I think it's incumbent of, 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 of the International Criminal Courts to set up a tribunal mm-hmm. um, to investigate these crimes and to bring those who have perpetrated the crimes to justice, to bring the Russian army officers, who we know from Nuremberg that the thing of I was only following orders doesn't, doesn't watch it, doesn't cut it, um, to bring the leadership of Russia. And that's not just Putin, it's Lebev, our foreign minister. Um, it's their spokespeople at the UN. It's it's the apologists um, from Russian state media who go, this stuff is fake news. Um, it's everyone you bring it to account and uh, you, you help Russia transform into being a democracy. Because there are there are people in Russia who want to be a democracy. Um, I, I I don't know how it. How effective it will be, but we need to we need to certainly not hesitate and set up an international war crimes tribunal because there are war crimes happening. Um, we're coming towards the end of the the podcast, Callum. It's been great to have you on, and I have one f- final uh, question for you. Um, we, at the moment, it's um, award season for various films. We've had obviously the Oscars, BAFTAs coming up as well and so my final question to you is this if you had to pick any one actor alive or dead to play you in a film who would you pick i think you you, you sort of i'm ginger so yeah you have to really go for rupert grin um i mean (laughs) but but then again ed sheeran did have that cameo in 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 bridget jones's baby um so either of those two can't think of any other ginger actors uh to head uh, sort of off the top of my head, but it'll be one of those two. Um, I feel, I feel, I feel Rupert Grant needs to come back to his acting career because he's been a bit quiet over the last couple of years. And I'll be honest, the uh, Ed Sheeran references get a bit boring, so we might as well switch it up a bit. <laughs>
I think, I think that's a great answer. Uh, Carol, thank you again for coming on the podcast. If people want to find out more about you uh, and about the campaigns that you're involved in, where should they go to find out more about you? Um, www.liberaldemocrats or libdems.org.uk. Uh, join the Liberal Democrats. Myself, one of my colleagues will be in touch and we'll get you part of the movement to change our country for good. Well, thank you once again for coming on the podcast, Callum. No problem at all. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam and Amazon Music. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Debated Podcast, like us on Facebook, Debated Podcast, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, whether about appearing on an episode of the podcast or commenting on an episode that you've listened to, you can do so at thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one.